it is so expansive and so great, um, we can't comprehend it. We can't understand it. And our request to you today is that you would enlarge our understanding of it. It is uh, beyond me, Lord, to be able to share your word. It is beyond me to speak your word. And the vast greatness of that is beyond each of us to understand it and to grasp it. But we know that you won a victory for us at Calvary that enables us to enter into that relationship with you where you make your will and your life known to us. We ask uh, as we enter into the, the Holy of Holies today, as that way has been made for us to come before your mercy seat, to come into the most holy place and enjoy fellowship with you, that we would sit and listen to what you have to say. My words are not important, Lord, but yours are. And we want you to speak into our hearts, to plant things deeply there today that are going to help us follow your son more closely. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. So, um, not last week, but the week before last, uh, we went on a little family vacation. Uh, Little. We drove to Nashville. Uh, So, there are six members of our family, my wife and I and our four sons. uh, And so, we piled into our Honda Pilot um, and uh, drove... All told, uh, for that week, about 2,400 miles. So to some of you, um, that's a lot. To some of you, that's not a whole lot. Um, But for us, it was a lot. And when there's six people in the car, it tends to be a lot. And Wilkerson's, I think that would be amplified for you by at least one. They have seven. Uh, So, or by more. Uh, So the, um, it was great. We had a wonderful time. We went. Uh, we we took two days to travel there and two days to travel back. So we went from Saratoga to Cleveland, and then down to Nashville. Uh, the first night we uh, stayed in a hotel that had indoor water park. You know, just to make me more tired. Um, and uh, and then we didn't leave. We left on the first Saturday. We left at like six o'clock in the morning. Um, but we didn't leave Cleveland until probably 1, so we didn't get into Nashville until like 10. We were dragging. But anyway, and then on the way back, we stopped again in Cleveland. We just slept this time, stopped at Niagara Falls on the way back, um, and, you know, hey, kids, there it is, let's go. Um, <laughs> got back in the car and came home and didn't get home till about 10 o'clock that night as well. But it was a wonderful trip. Um, we reconfigured the seating situation in, in our car, somewhat specifically for the trip, but just in general. Um, and again, my wife takes care of all the details, and I'm so grateful for Happy Mother's Day again, honey, and to all of you. Uh, and so we have Mitchell and Miles, the two older uh, guys, are in the back row of seats. It just it used to be Mitchell there, and Miles would sit in the middle between Bryce and Jameson. And Bryce is four, and Jameson is two. And sometimes having Miles in the middle was helpful, and sometimes having Miles in the middle was not so helpful because he didn't help police the situation only to aggravate it. Uh, So we moved him to the back. And um, so that that was pretty good. But on occasion, Bryce and Jameson would get into this match of, I'm not going to stop until you stop situation, right? 
Um, and it may have started, uh, we're in a Star Wars phase right now in our family. Uh, and uh, yes, anybody that knows my kids, um, Bryce, if you ask him afterwards, uh, Bryce, what's Darth Vader's theme, or as he says it, Darth Vader's theme, he will hum it for you, and there is a beginning, and there is a middle part, and there is an end part. And if I start doing it and get it wrong, it must be started over again correctly. So generally it would be he's humming Darth, Darth Vader's theme song for the 800th time, and Jameson says, uh, stop it, Bice. You know, as only a two-year-old can order someone to do something, right? I'm going to order somebody, and it's you, other little guy. Um, and uh, Bryce would respond with, eh, you know. But he, he'd actually stop singing the song or humming the song, humming the song. Um, and so he stopped. So Jameson should have been satisfied. But because he responded, Jameson then felt the need to go, stop it, Bryce. And Bryce to go, eh, and it just would go back and forth. And I'm going, he, just don't say anything back to him. He stopped. Stop responding. He stopped already. And they wouldn't get it. If one of them would have just relinquished their position, it would have ended. It would have been fine. But they couldn't understand that because they weren't mature enough to grasp that fact, that I don't have to have the last word. And I want to talk about uh, maturing today, about maturing in Christ, about maturity in general, that journey. Um, if I can tie it into Mother's Day, because if you're going to speak on Mother's Day, you've got to bring the mothers in, right? Um, which of you mothers doesn't want to see their children mature? And I'm not talking about, you know, those moments that are so precious you're going to keep them in your heart and your memory forever. I'm not talking about, you know, giving up the bronze baby shoes or having a difficult time when they stop doing that really cute thing. That's not what I mean. I mean that vision for them to be able to stand on their own, that vision for them to make good decisions, uh, that vision for them to live lives on their own two feet. Um, we all want that for our kids. And in fact, when we see, if we see a parent relationship where it's not like that, where they're trying to keep their children immature, we know there's something wrong with that. We know that there's something that's not right there. And I'm not talking about situations where um, kids are trying to go too fast. Sometimes we have to rein you guys in, and that's okay. Trust us. We've been there, um, and we're praying about it. Yes, we, we really stop making faces at me. Um, we do. Um, but that trying to hold kids in immaturity because that's – satisfying for the parent it's selfish and we can see kind of disaster down the road for the children that are held in that situation um and so uh moms thank you very much for your god-like desire for your children to mature we appreciate that tremendously um the scripture that caught my attention in this is in hebrews chapter 6 
starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Pressing on toward maturity. Now, I have a fear for myself and for the body of Christ in general about our level of maturity. We pray almost every Sunday in, in this church, we pray for the persecuted church around the world. And we read about and, and see things that are happening to people that are believers in Christ and some extremely difficult situations and uh, deep privations that they endure for their faith in Christ. And Jesus said, all men will hate you on account of me. And he promised us a life of difficulty in him, that there would be things that we would have to endure because of our faith in him that other people wouldn't have to. If we were the world's, then the world would love us, just as if he were the world's, the world would have loved him. But on the contrary, the world didn't accept him and will not accept us either. And I wonder what would happen to me. I wonder what would happen to the church in America if some of the persecutions that were visited, that are visited on our brothers and sisters around the world were visited to us. Where are we in our maturity? Where are we in our journey and our growth uh, towards uh, becoming more and more Jesus, him increasing and us decreasing. Um, and this scripture really drives it home to me, and it talks about these foundational aspects, and I'll read it again here starting in verse 1. Leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on toward maturity, not laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So these are the elementary teachings, right? And so we look at these, and the first one is repentance from dead works. And I think, I, I got that. that. You know, I can understand that. You know, it's, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's kind of two things. One, the repentance from the doing of things that we think makes us closer to God, the ceremonial things that the Jews were involved in, that they put stock in, that they put their faith in, um, as opposed to just God, right? Uh, and two, the sins that we all get caught up in, the repentance from those dead works, those things that lead to death. So I can understand repentance from dead works, right? Uh, and faith toward God is the second one. Yeah, I got that. You guys, I mean, for the most part, everybody feels pretty good about faith in God. We need to have faith in him. We need to trust him. Uh, we need to trust him above other things um, that we would like or want in our lives. Instruction about washings uh, or baptism is the word that's used in other translation. Instruction about baptism. There are disparate, disparate views, uh, differing, differing views in the church about baptism, when it is, what it does, what it accomplishes, etc. And the church that we came out of, it was a super big 
issue. And I'm not saying it's not an issue, all right? So don't get me wrong. But when we left there, we had to really struggle with that and study it out and understand it. Is that a foundational issue, an elementary issue that you feel like you've really dug into and understood? Laying on of hands. I'd be like, uh, go ask Rick about that. I'm really not sure what, what that's supposed to be or how that's supposed to be done. That's an elementary teaching. And I need to go towards maturity. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are big deals. And I'm not saying that we all need to agree on these things, right? And I don't think we will. And when, when Rick speaks, he'll often talk about some of these big issues and how he has brothers and sisters in the Lord that he loves dearly and believe completely opposite of what he believes on those. And I think that that's okay because we are not the judge, right? The Lord is the judge. We don't have to be the arbiters of truth. We need to search the truth. We need to develop conviction about the truth and move on towards uh, maturity in that. So it's not agreement, it's looking into coming to conviction, learning about, spending time understanding these things, and forming deep convictions about them for ourselves. Because then we can leave the elementary teachings for what God has in store for us next. So the last time I spoke was back in um, February and. Those of you that heard that, I, I related how I felt like I had lost my saltiness, right? And um, that's not a good thing, because right after that, Jesus said, if salt loses its saltiness, what use is there for it, except to be thrown out and trampled by men? So that's not a particularly good feeling for a Christian, agreed? You know, <laughs> uh, that's my lot. And I was so grateful for the revelation from the Lord at that time that he can reinvigorate us. He can make us salty again. And I think one of the main ways that he does that is through his word. He uses his word to make us salty again, to deepen that relationship with him, to understand him more. He fills us with that, uh, the word that makes us clean uh, the word that builds us up. And so um, at that time, uh, I began a, I was like, I got to find something that kind of keeps me focused, that keeps me on track. And so I found uh, a 60-day plan because I, I think uh, I was listening to K-Love one day, and they were like, it takes 60 days to build a real habit. I thought it was 30. So I'm like, oh, I can't even get away with 30. I got to do 60. It's terrible. And so I was like, all right, I'll do 60 because maybe it'll really take uh, uh, this time. I'll really develop that habit, and I'm going to do it first thing in the morning, and it's, you know, it's going to be great. And um, so that was, I spoke in February, um, and I know that I had started this sometime before then. I think it may have even been in 2015. I finished my 60-day plan earlier this week. (laughs) Yes, I chuckled too when I thought about it. And the nice thing about this plan was it it has, um, it it was fantastic. Um, It was usually 
two to three chapters a day in the Gospels and then two to three chapters a day in the letters in the New Testament. Um, and it really was wonderful. It, but one of the things that it did was it would track your progress in a little calendar on the side. And I would just look up one day, and there was two weeks with no check marks. There was, there was two weeks of stuff that had been happening in my life that had been taking my attention that had been important, important enough to not say I need to stop and spend time in the Word that I could see the gap. I could see it right there. My wife could probably feel the gap. Some of you could probably feel the gap in the ways that I acted or ways that I spoke. And so it took me at least 120 days. There was many days that I was in the Word that I wasn't in the Word over this time period and probably more. So this is not a legalistic call to daily Bible study, all right? So you can relax. I'm not going to ask each of you to fill out a form promising me that you will study the Bible every day from henceforth until the Lord comes. This is not that at all. There are people that have the Bible memorized. There are people that go to church every day, and for them, they are uh, those works. They're just works that lead to death because that's all they are for them. It's not a joining of their spirit to God. It's not an attempt to have Jesus fill them up. Um, and they have remain with that knowledge, with that participation, infants. There's no spiritual growth there. There's no maturity. And if you look at the last verse here in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 6 uh, that I read here, verse 3, it says, and this we will do. Well, let me read the whole thing again. Uh, and I have to go back to my other page. This is, uh, by the way, this is the New King James Version, and I have been laboring under the impression since I started using these that it was the New American Standard Version. So I get my notes, and I copy them from a New American Standard Version online, and I'm like, why isn't this the same? And so I finally looked at the spine today. That's why. So anyway, um, thank you for bearing with me. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. And I liked even better the way it was stated in the New International Version. It says, and God permitting, we will do so. So for those of you that don't like to memorize verses, this is a great verse because it's only about seven words, right? So let's memorize a verse today. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3, and God permitting, we will do so. One more time all together. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3, and God permitting, we will do so. And I saw those of you whose mouths weren't moving, and I'm going to talk to you <laughs> afterwards. Um, so... When you call your mom today, when you see her later, you can tell her, Mom, I've been memorizing scriptures. She'll be really proud of you. She'll be really happy, right? Um, but uh, is God unwilling? Is God not permitting us to mature? Is he holding us back? Is it not his desire that we would grow and become more like his son? 
who knows the, uh, the mind of God and who's able to instruct him, it tells us in Romans chapter 11. We can tell from the rest of the stuff we read, though, that it's not God's unwillingness for us to mature. The word specifically uh, is found in the Gospel of Luke, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Hebrews, and James. The individual specific word is found in each of those places. And the idea, I believe, is found in all of the books of the New Testament and certainly found in the Old Testament as well. I don't think it's an issue of God's willingness. Um, Everything I know about him tells me that he wants me to mature, that he wants us corporately to mature and to become more like his son. Um, In his love for us, God, at least while we're alive, we know the day will come, right, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There will be a point that every person, willing or unwilling, will confess the truth about God. While we're alive, he doesn't do that to us. God is a gentleman when it comes to our spirit and our will, and he gives us choice in what we do. He leaves it up to us. He draws us, right, with cords of human kindness, of loving kindness into that. Almost everything he puts into our lives He tries to point us towards choosing to seed, to offer up, to give our will and our spirit over to his will and his spirit. But he leaves the choice ultimately up to us. He doesn't force himself upon us in that way. It's always our choice whether we're going to do that or not. When we have minds controlled by his spirit, the Bible tells us there's life and peace. And that's what he wants for us. So I think God is willing. I think he wholeheartedly permits us and encourages us to move past past the elementary teachings, past foundational things. Uh, But are we willing? Is the willingness there for us? I want to look at a few of these scriptures from the the books that I referenced um, about becoming mature and get some insight into what stops us and what helps us. Uh, let's look in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Or uh, Let's look in Luke chapter 8. And starting in verse 11, this is the, uh, the parable of the sower explained. Now, the parable is this, Jesus says to his disciples. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So there's no growth here. The seed is scattered. It doesn't take root. It's gone. It lays there momentarily. It has no impact. But the ones on the rock or the shallow soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while in a time of temptation fall away. So here there there is growth. 
there is some measurable impact of the word of God on this person's life. But because of the shallowness there, there's no opportunity. He says when he's relating the parable, when the sun comes up in the heat of the day, it withers. And he explains that that is when temptation comes up, it burns this growth out. It burns this impact out of their lives. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So we're not talking about hard hearts that don't accept the word at all, right? Because there's no, again, there's no measurable impact, there's no growth, there's nothing there. And we're not even talking about shallow. We're talking about a soil that has accepted God's word and there is evidence of the impact of God's word on that life. You can see it growing. There is a plant there. But along with that plant, there are some other things. And those other things are choking the plant. The plant still exists, but it can't be fruitful. It can't bring forth God's intention for it, which is to bear fruit. And so what are these things that choke it out? Life's worries, riches, and pleasures. So uh, nobody needs to raise their hand when I ask who has worries, right? Because we all have worries. Uh, If I said riches, some of you may say that guy does, but I don't. Uh, And I'll tell you, it is riches are we worry about not having enough, and those that have seemingly plenty worry about losing what they have. Riches impact everybody, and we are, as a nation, generally rich compared to the rest of the world. One of the things that should do for all of us is drive us to our knees because the rich have a hurdle that those that are not rich don't have. And John spoke about this last week, how hard it is, impossible, as a matter of fact, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible with man. It's only possible with God. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are envious of what somebody else has or wish that you had as much as them, not even in an evil way that you're envious, but stop. Pray for them. They have a situation in their lives that is making it more difficult for them to mature. They have a situation in their lives that they need your prayers because there's an impediment there that may not exist for you. But I think as a country, we probably should all be praying this for one another that God would do that impossible work in us and get our minds off of the stuff, the things uh, that surround us. And then it talks about pleasures. Life's worries, riches, and pleasures. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. The fruit, not the fruit, but the plant stands. The evidence exists, but it's being choked. And these are the things where I'm encouraged because Jesus says they are life's 
worries, riches, and pleasures. And so that gives us the opportunity to take take our eyes off the horizontal, right? So Rick is often talking about us living in the horizontal as opposed to the vertical, as opposed to keeping our eyes up on the Lord. Take our eyes off the horizontal where life's worries, riches, and pleasures are, and putting our eyes towards heaven because there are heavenly worries, heavenly concerns, things that are on God's heart. There are heavenly treasures, and we're made very aware of that. Jesus made it plain where your heart is, there your treasure will be as well. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the moth doesn't eat it and the rust doesn't decay it. Um, and there are pleasures, the things that please God. These are the things that we need to put our minds on. These are the things that taking our minds and our hearts off of life's worries, riches, and pleasures will enable us to not be choked. There is a never-ending list of things that we could be concerned about, right? If I said, let's all take out a piece of paper and write out all the things that we could be worried about, we could stay here forever, you know? If it's not something that's tomorrow, it's something that's in two weeks. It's something in five weeks. It's something in ten years. It's something somewhere that we be concerned about, and there's no end to it. And God wants us to refocus Put our minds and our hearts on those things that are heavenly. Put our minds and our hearts on those things uh, that will not choke his word out um, in our lives. A lot of times I think we perceive uh, other people as being wealthy, but we have no idea what's going on in their lives. And I can tell you from meeting with a lot of people about their finances, oftentimes they are in desperate straits. And there are things that they are doing that you would be astonished by. Uh, The ways that they're spending their money, the ways that they're living off of credit. Um, And they really do need our prayers. And what I've found is when I am in the midst of something that's very difficult for me, and I'll I'll relay this story. I had, um, when I first started uh, my business, um, I had met with a very wealthy man. Uh, and we had our discussion and in sales, so what's the object of the first meeting? To get the next meeting, right? So we were having the next meeting, and I'm like, then I'm like, all right, what am I going to talk about next? Um, and so I'm going through, um, it, was, it was late at night, I was in bed already, and I'm going through in my mind all the things that I'm supposed to say, that I'm supposed to do, and everything in me is is focused on what what I will make from the transaction from the relationship right what will I make from that what will be, I want to support my family I need to make money and I I can't get off of this hamster wheel in my head over and over and over again and and it struck me all of a sudden that this person this creation of God, uh, all he was was numbers to me. That's In that moment, that's all he meant to me were numbers. And that scripture about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven came to me, and I said, I need to pray for him. And I prayed for him, and I fell asleep immediately. Because my mind went from 
my worries, life's worries, to what heavenly concerns were, to what was important, what was really important for him. What's really important for him is that he know God, that he attain to the fullness of the measure of Christ, that he grow in his relationship with the Lord. That's what was really important. And so I find when I'm struggling for particular things, one, I, I know of other brothers or, or sisters that are struggling with those things. If I pray for them, my mind gets off the hamster wheel. My mind gets off of that grave concern for myself that's not helping me at all, that's just holding me back and keeping me focused there. And it puts it on them, and it puts it on truth, right? Because at the end of the day, it's all about what's true. What is it that, aside from our experience, aside from um, what we think is going to happen and what we're worried about is going to happen, what is actually true? that we need to focus on. When, um, when we change that outlook, it, ha- it helps me tremendously, and I can only encourage you uh, to do the same. And God, in his graciousness, the, the things that are in the horizontal, life's worries, riches, and pleasures, he uses all those things to turn us towards the vertical, to get us back in line with thinking about him, to get our minds away from what we're focused on so much and to turn them back towards him. Uh, None of this is to say that there are not situations that are overwhelmingly difficult and that we can just say, oh, dear brother, dear sister, just pray and you'll be fine. I'm not advocating that at all. There are incredible struggles, lifelong struggles that people deal with acute, super difficult struggles that people deal with. And it's not that. It's how can I hold on to what's true in the midst of that when God is not doing what I want him to do and understanding that he's doing something great, even though it's terrible, it feels terrible for me right now. Let's look in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So when John preaches, he brings his computer up, and you can see his fingers just tapping to different places to find the scripture. I I like to turn with you. (laughs) That way I know you're probably there when I get there. Ephesians chapter 4. and starting in verse 11. And uh, he himself, talking about Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's maturity. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. Those are some tremendous words. Those are packed with enough for you to work on towards maturing for months and years if you just camped out in there for a while. In verse 11, it talks about how he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for our equipping to bring us to maturity. So we have people that are responsible for that, that that's their job. That's the function that God has given them in the body to bring us on toward maturity. And so as we have opportunity to hear from others, um, we need to take advantage of that. And we need, as we're listening, to search out the things that they say. Uh, Paul, um, uh, or Luke writes in the book of Acts, uh, when they went from Thessalonica to Berea, that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonicans because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Never rely on what the person up here is saying to you. Your responsibility is to search out the scriptures to see if what they're saying is true. Your responsibility is to take the information that they are giving you from God's word and deepen your own relationship with God from that and to be grown by that. But that is a function that God gives certain people to mature us as we're talking about this idea of maturing, of us actively being involved in growing in our maturity. And in verse 15, he gives us another way that we grow up into Christ. Speaking the truth in love may all grow, may grow up in all things into him who is the head. And so it's not only the people that speak from the pulpit or that you listen to on the radio or whoever God has given to be pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets. It's all of us. We are the ones that have the opportunity to speak the truth in love to one another. I know it's heavy. Um, (laughs) This is a function that the Lord has given us. So, question that comes up, um, can people speak truth to you? Can people speak truth into your life? And I'm not talking about somebody coming along and telling you, who you should be, what you should do, and what you should believe, I mean, can people just speak the truth to you? Can they come to you in humility and say something to you? We need to have boundaries about who we're sharing with and things like that, but it's not just that. It's not just about correction, right, because that's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, Kevin, I know, I know, and I'm going to talk to you after church. I don't, I don't know anything. Um, it's not about cornering one another and beating each other over the head and saying this is who you should be and this is how you need to change. Although, aside from the beating over the head part, there are opportunities and needs sometimes for those conversations. Can we all agree on that? That there are some times that we get so pig-headed in what we're doing that we need somebody to strongly get us back on the right path. And we need people we can trust in our lives to do that. We don't just throw that open to everybody. We need 
brothers, sisters, friends that are close to us. But the other way that this works is truth. Well, what is the truth? My word is truth. As we mature in Christ, as we go deeper and understand him more from our own Bible study, we get to share truth with one another. We get to speak the truth in love with one another. We get to go beyond the baseball game last night or the hockey game or the weather, which has improved greatly for all of you that have outdoor plans uh, for the rest of the day. We're all excited about that. Or how you doing, bro? Good. How are you? Good. Amen. (laughs) And away we go. We get to move beyond those conversations and we get to speak truth and love to each other. We have a responsibility, each of us, towards each other to speak truth into each other's lives. It talks about uh, how then we'll no longer be children, right, this whole idea of maturity. We won't stay as children as we have truth spoken to us by the people that God has ordained and truth spoken to us by the people that God has ordained. Um, We won't be children tossed around by the wind. And I'm I'm not so worried about us as a group being tricked by crafty teaching because we do spend so much time in God's word, but it is a, a danger for all of us that we can run off on some doctrine that really has nothing to do with what's in God's word, and so we need to be in that. Um, but we don't want to be tossed around, and, and this, this idea of the waves makes me think of Peter, right? So Peter, when he got out of the boat, and walked to Jesus with his eyes on Jesus, with his eyes on truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he walked on water. He did the miraculous. With his eyes on the wind and the waves, he sank. And we need to be about speaking truth to one another, taking the time to do that, sharing those things with each other uh, so that all of us can grow uh, in that truth. Uh, Let's look over at uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Again, we're starting in verse 11, which we've started in a lot of verse 11s today, which is kind of weird, um, but that's okay. The other thing I somebody shared with me afterwards, um, and I, I really had no idea that this was the case, but I, I praise God for it, that uh, the person that is speaking on Wednesdays now, uh, with Rick being away, has just started a, a series on maturing in Christ. So I, God is so good, you know. I had no idea that that person was speaking on that. And so I'm very grateful that our messages coincide with one another. Our messages match up. And it is then obvious to me that this is something that's on God's heart for his people. But uh, starting in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 5, it says, uh, before that it's talking about Jesus as the high priest. um, And it says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. 
For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And I didn't realize until later that this led right into the first few scriptures that we shared earlier today about the elementary principles of Christ. And this uh, scripture, the beginning of this scripture here where it says in the New King James, it says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Um, in the New Internet, in the New American Standard, it says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. And I think that's a danger for all of us. We can be drawn away from trying to understand just because of the craziness of life. Uh, but sometimes we can just tune out. We're not trying. We're not trying to understand the deeper things of Christ. We're not actively engaged in maturing. And he doesn't want us only drinking milk. He doesn't want us as babes. He wants us to become the people who, by use of his word, can discern good and evil. Isn't that what we would all like when we come into situations? What's the good choice here? What's the evil choice here? The stuff that we see going on in our culture, what of that is evil and what of that is okay? What of that is good? Where do I find God in here? And our use of the word, our being trained by the word, moves us on towards that. And God does the work. The, as I um, was doing this Bible study, this 60-slash-120-day-plus Bible study, um, when the word of God jumps off the page to you, it is a wonderful thing. Any of you that have had that happen to you, where you go, wow, wow, I've read this 10, 20 times, and I get it. I get it in context of, in context of this thing or that thing, and God reveals himself to you in his word. It's an amazing thing. He does this work, but we've got to be the willing participants uh, in this. We have to give ourselves the time to do it. Uh, what I'm trying to exhort us to is being deliberately, uh, being deliberate about maturing, is saying, I am going to actively cede my will, my spirit, to the Lord, because he is not going to come and make me do it. I am going to be a willing participant in this process of actively ceding it to the Lord. Um, who knows the first piece of property that um, the, we'll say Israelites, they weren't the Israelites at that time, but the first piece of property that the Israelites owned in the land that God promised Abraham. You avoiding eye contact? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what was the first piece of property? I can sit up here and drink water all day while you guys... We have it in the second row. It, I, you want a pen as a prize? 
a tomb, a burial place, the, uh, the cave in Machpelah near the great trees of Mamre, whatever those were, that Abraham brought from the Hittites to bury, to bury his wife, Sarah. So you think about God called Abraham, uh, from Abram at the time, from Ur of the Chaldeans and said, go, leave your father's home, go to this place which I will show you that I will give to you and your children. Abraham goes halfway, right, because that's what we do. Uh, he goes halfway, and he lives somewhere else for a little while, and he doesn't leave his father's household. He brings his nephew Lot and some other people. Um, and he goes, uh, he leaves then Haran and goes on uh, to uh, the promised land. And so then we've got uh, his lifetime, we've got Isaac's lifetime, we've got Jacob and Esau, We've got the Israelites at some point during Jacob's life, who has now become Israel, uh, going to Egypt. And we know, year-wise, we have a reference to 400 years that they would live as slaves in the land of Egypt. We also know they didn't immediately become slaves. They enjoyed an okay situation there at the beginning. Then we also know when they left Egypt, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert, right? So there's a substantial length of time between the promise that God gave Abram, and them taking possession of the land after they crossed the Jordan with Joshua at the lead, right? I mean, we're, we're looking at at least 500 years, probably longer. And then that long, long period of time, there's only one small bit of land that's owned, and it's a tomb. And when we think about seeding our will or conferring our will or Letting God put his will over our lives and our spirits, that is a way that we die, right? This is, this is a part of the death that Jesus calls us to. Die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And as we die, we begin to take possession of the inheritance that the Lord has given us. Just as this first portion of owned inheritance in the promised land is a tomb. When we die, that's when we begin to own the inheritance that God has given us. Now, he's done it in that cutting off of the sinful nature. And so there's that big death there. But you and I all know that there's the day after day death that we have to actively participate in, where he has to increase and we have to decrease. And in order to take hold of that inheritance that God has for us, in order to grow into the measure of the fullness of Christ, in order to go on toward maturity, we have to decide that. And we have to continually die to those things that are holding us back, whether it's just time, whether it's worries, riches, and pleasures, whatever it is, so that we can grow that inheritance of the promised land that God has for us. It's a never-ending process. And my prayer is that we will decide today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and then after two weeks where we don't know what happened and the next day and the next day and then a month when we don't know what happened to actively participate in the maturing that God wants for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience. 
we thank you for your long suffering for us.